Thank you, Jimmy. Thank you, orchestra, for playing. I think we should make them play like five songs when they have it. That would If you have your Bibles, turn with me, if you would, to the second epistle of John. We finished 1 John. Can you believe it? You probably never heard so many sermons out of one book before before your pastor came in. <laughs> and uh, we've preached a lot out of 1 John, and now we get to move to 2 John. And uh, this is... Uh, this is like a postcard. In fact, there's in the New Testament, we have about four postcards. Little one-chapter books that, you know, I don't have to say turn to 2 John chapter 1 because you just know there's only one chapter. But what we have to remember a little bit, I think, as is, is, is we look at these one-chapter books, that oftentimes when you wanted to send a letter, you had to send it with someone who was going where you wanted the letter to go. There, there was no post office. There was no Pony Express. Uh, there, there, was, there was only um, finding somebody who was already headed there and trusting them with your letter. I guess that you probably didn't send money very often. And so John's, John's going to write this postcard, and perhaps he's found someone who's going, but they're leaving in a day or two. Because you have to work on their timetable. You want to send something uh, through the mail, you can, you can just take it any time that your post office is open. And I'll be honest, sometimes that post office is not open when it should be. <laughs> I have gone more times than not during their lunch hour for some reason. I don't know if the post offices in New York don't take lunch or if I just it's just the way it's worked out. But I have, more than once I've gone and went, oh man, <laughs> they're closed. But as l annoying as that is, you're trying to find someone who's going, they're saying, I'm going tomorrow. Wow. I kind of imagine that's what happened here. John's sending a letter, found somebody who's headed. He goes, you know what, I want to write them a letter. Now, you're sending a letter with someone, and you're sending it about a but an illegal religion. Now it gets really interesting. Do you sign your name to it? You're going to sign your, uh, your uh, John Hancock right there. Uh, let everybody know that this, is a, uh, this, is, this letter is, is from one of the leaders of the illegal Religion, Christianity. Probably not, are you? Especially if you're not sending it with someone you trust. Remember, a lot of times Paul's letters tell us who it is he's sending the letter with. And it's often someone that he's traveled with, someone that he trusts when he signs it. There's, a, there's conjecture 
that perhaps John uh, is sending this letter with someone that perhaps he may not really trust. So he doesn't sign his name. In fact, he starts the elder. He's referring to himself, the elder. It's actually the word that the Presbyterian church gets their name from, the presber. And uh, what it just means is the old person. So the Presbyterian church is the church of old people. Isn't that exciting? Supposed to mean wisdom and spiritual wisdom uh, is, is supposed to be what's conveyed there and why they chose Presbyterian. But uh, I'm not sure I would want written on the door all to my old people church. <laughs> if you're old, I want you to know I love you. And I'm glad you come. But I'm not sure how welcoming that is. And I don't know if I'd want to go to a church that was, uh, was called all to my old people church. Now, if you wrote on an ultimate spiritually wise church, now, now you're talking. And he doesn't say who it is that he's sending it to. It says, the elder unto the elect lady and her children. Who is this lady? We don't know. We don't know. But we know that John loves her. Loves her family. And we know that he wants to convey in just a few words. He doesn't have much time perhaps to write it. But he needs to send them a message. Maybe he's heard a report. Maybe something has caused him that he feels like he's got to, to write this very short letter. So I'm inviting you to stand with me. We're going to read the entire letter. Let's call it a postcard. So that nobody faints of fear. I'm saying I'm going to read the whole thing. The elder unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all they, uh, that have known the truth, for the truth's sake, which dwelleth in us and shall be with us forever. Grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father in truth and love. I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth, as we have received a commandment from the Father. And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I write a new commandment unto thee, but that which we have uh, had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment that, as ye have heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it. For many deceivers are entered into the world, who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh, that is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Whosoever transgresseth, and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ, hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you, and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. For he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. 
having many things to write unto you, I would not write with paper and ink, but I trust to come unto you and speak face to face, that our joy may be full. The children of thy elect sister greet thee. Amen. Father, it amazes me that a simple postcard, that you chose to preserve it down through the centuries for us. How many postcards throughout history have been lost in the mail, lost in homes, perhaps put on a refrigerator for a short time and discarded later. But this postcard was one that you wanted for us to read. And I pray that you would help us to not just skip over it because it's so short, but that we would spend some time meditating on the truth of it. We ask these things in your precious name. Amen. You may be seated. I love scientists. And one of the reasons that I love scientists is they are all the time answering questions nobody ever asked. I think that's great. Because you know what? Sometimes I ask questions nobody else asks. And I like to know. I, I, uh, Brandon and I share this. We like to know stuff that nobody cares about. It's just neat to know it. And so this week I had the great privilege of finding out the answer to the question that has consumed every one of you down through your entire life. And I'm going to give you the answer to this great question that has really bothered you. And that great question is this. Can spiders get dizzy? Haven't you always wondered that, Sister Mahan? Isn't that bothered you all your life? What's that? Never thought about it? Never once? Well, I'm telling you, it's a perplexing problem. Can a spider get dizzy? I mean, we ought to know that, shouldn't we? If we're going to be able to have successful lives, we can't live another day without knowing. Can a spider get dizzy or not? And so the scientists had gotten, found a spider, had gotten a lo nice large one. It was, it was, it was a thing of beauty. And got that thing uh, under a, uh, under a, a glass uh, a cover and, and onto a turntable. And so what he wanted to do, of course, we need, if you're going to do a scientific experiment, the first thing you've got to have is a control. Some of you are glazing over. You don't like science class. Stick with me. You ha Before you can find out whether a spider gets dizzy or not, you've got to know how the spider acts when it's not dizzy. And so he would move that cover around a little bit, and basically what the spider would do is it would stay to the edges. As it moved, it would, it would keep finding its way to the edge of, of where that cover met the turntable. It felt the greatest amount of safety near the edge of that glass cover. And then he did what we were all waiting for. He began to spin the turntable. And I mean, he spun and spun and spun and spun that thing. I felt badly for that spider. It was a terrible thing. To, as that thing went around and around and around and so fast. And for such a little, uh, little guy, it, it really, really went through a traumatic experience. As for two or three minutes, I'm not sure how long it was. I, I don't remember, but they just kept spinning that poor turntable as that spider 
was going to experience whatever it was going to experience. And we were going to find out in just a few moments. I was excited for the answer to the question that, that all of us are burning to know. Can a spider get dizzy? So they get, he gets done finally. And so he begins to take that, that glass cover and move it around. And do you know that spider stayed to the edges and showed no signs of getting dizzy. And so if anyone ever asks, or you're at a party and, 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 there, and you need to get, uh, start up a conversation, you now know the answer that spiders do not get dizzy. Now there's a good reason for that. We get dizzy because we get our balance from the, our inner ear. We have liquid in there that when it gets sloshing around too much, we start having all sorts of issues. But spiders sense their world through their hairs on their body, and so they don't have the same uh, structure that we do to keep their balance. They say, Preacher, why are you talking about spiders and dizziness this evening? What has that got to do with 2 John? It has this to do with it. John is trying to help the elect lady to understand that there are two components in order to maintain spiritual balance. Just like God has given you two legs, there are two things that every Christian must have in order to maintain spiritual balance. And they're simply truth and love. Truth and love. If you can walk on truth and love as your spiritual legs, it will take you to heaven. But if you get off on one or the other, well, that's like walking with a limp or maybe even with one leg. It's not as easy as you'd like. It seems as, as uh, John is writing this, he has received a report concerning the elect lady. She's gotten off balance. She had a, 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 a difficulty here. She, she has, she's trying to serve God. She's become a Christian. She's a follower of Christ. And perhaps when John was there with her, he'd helped her to get established, helped her to get both feet down on the ground, and she was walking after the things of God. But she had chosen to select love over truth. And here is the great difficulty for us. We oftentimes when pick and choose between things. And God in his attributes never picks and chooses between his attributes. He does not lose mercy to show justice. He does not uh, have to uh, give up his love in order to give us truth. God never has to compromise one of his attributes for the other. He doesn't give up his holiness in order to, to uh, have more love. He doesn't have to do that. God holds all of his attributes equally, and he doesn't have to pick and choose. But what often happens to us in our spiritual walk is we 
begin to lean heavily on one or the other. And this dear lady had chosen to lean on one leg over the other. She was going to lean on love. You know, I think, it's, I think that's the, the cry of the world right now is they want the church to be a church of love. And that's what they push. And that's what's the most important. And, and so the church, is, uh, the church, the modern day church, has embraced this God is love. And we've talked about that. We've preached about that. And, and John reaffirms that in this letter. God is love. And we need to love one another. But here's the danger. When you reject truth in order for love, you get off course. Truth gives, uh, is, is the compass that we use to find our way through this world. There are others, not this elect lady, but there are others down through history who have rejected love in favor of truth. I think we've been accused of this, and I think perhaps in our history that this has been true. We've, we, uh, we want to stand by the stuff. We want to be people of the book. We want to be true. We want, we want to live right. And, 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 it, and, and John tells us that, that if we don't keep his commandments, we don't love God. If we don't keep our commandments, the love of God's not in us. We've got to be people of truth. And that's amazing. And that's wonderful. We need to be people of truth. But we can't lose love in the process. We can't lose love in the process. On Facebook, I'm friends with Dr. Andrew Graham. He's a professor down at Hope Sound and uh, a counselor and a great friend of mine. And I appreciate Dr. Graham very, very much. And this, this week, he posted something I thought was so wise. And it got some people upset. But he said this. He said, we need to be careful about what we're posting and saying in public about some of these things with those that have claimed to be sexually assaulted lest we send the message that we will not believe them when they have a story to tell. And people got upset. And he said, listen, I'm not, I'm not talking about the politics of this situation. He said, I, I understand that. And he, and he reaffirmed over and over and over. He's not saying that, that Ford is telling the truth. All he was saying is, is we better be careful how we come across so that those that, ha that harbor a horrible secret are not afraid to be able to come forward because we have sent the message we won't believe. Andrew was right. You say, but, 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 but the politics, this, 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 this. 
not what Andrew's talking about. It's not what he was calling us to remember. He was, that's not what he was trying to help us to understand. There, he's not saying that he knows what happened that night. Nobody knows except for two people. Maybe three. But no one really knows. And really, to be honest, the way that it sounds with the alcohol and things going on, I'm not sure any of them know what truly happened that day. Probably God is the only one who truly knows what happened that day. But we don't know. So we have to be careful about how we talk about it. I think we can talk about it. But we have to be careful. Paul told us to speak the truth in love. But here's the thing. The people who say they want the truth are the most upset when they are served it up. Aren't they? If I asked who wants the truth here, probably all of you would raise your hands. Whether you wanted it or not. But if I would, if I would, I needed someone to pick on tonight. Cameron, I haven't picked on you in a while. If I say, Cameron, you like the truth? And you say, yeah, I like the truth. And I'd say to you, you've been putting on a few pounds lately, haven't you, buddy? <laughs> no, I don't know that he is. I picked Cameron because he's, he's as skinny as can be. But if I were to say that to Cameron and, and mean it, that could be offensive to him. And there's some of you here that if I would have even picked on you and even said that I really didn't mean it, if I would have said that to you, you really would have been hurt. Even if it's true that you've really been letting yourself go lately. And if you've really been not taking care of yourself and there's a health concern or something else, if I were to have even picked on you about that, I hope that Cameron's not going to go home crying. <laughs> but if I would have picked on you with that and it were true, and it were true, or it could have been true, some would have gone home and really been hurt. Husbands typically learn real quick that they ought not to bring that up in marriage. I thought you wanted me to be truthful. I thought you wanted honesty and openness in this relationship. No, she doesn't. <laughs> no, she doesn't. When she says, does this dress make me look heavy? You're supposed to say, no, dear. Uh-uh. Aren't you? We're supposed to all bear false witness, forget what the scripture says, if you want to sleep in the house. <laughs> the worst thing you can say is, yes, dear, that dress does make you look fat. You need to get a different thing on. <laughs> don't say that. We don't want the truth. We really don't. We can, we can pick on, on the ladies in that area, but what about us guys? They pick on something about us. You know, it seems like you haven't been bringing home the bacon very well lately. You're, you're fine. The finances are hurting, and you haven't been, you haven't been doing very good with, the, with taking care of the home. 
Or, you know, since football season's go, come on, uh, you're have, you've been having a hard time finding, finding time to, to work on those house projects in my honeydew list. Or whatever it is that your wife would say to you, we don't want the truth. We want our spouse to err on the side of love, don't we? And you know what? As long as we do that, we become happily ignorant. Happily ignorant. And do you know what happens when we fall in love with love and leave truth? Or we play around with it a little bit? After a time, we get frustrated. Now she's, she's really let herself go and she's put on 150 pounds in three months. Or he's really gotten lazy in that, and, and the lazy boy has, man, he could, he could be the, the mascot for lazy boy. <laughs> and now you're really frustrated. And do you know what happens? You blow up and you speak the truth without love. You've done love, 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 and finally forget the love. It's time for a cold, hard dish of truth served up. And guess what? No one's happy. No one's happy. Love without truth will eventually lead to an explosion. It does. It leads to a place where you get frustrated until finally you're just going to lay it out there. Or, or if it doesn't do that, what happens is it creates a cold bitterness in our hearts that's never addressed and never dealt with. What happens if we have truth without love? Well, if we have truth without love, you just have hurt. You just have hurt. You know, there's some things that are truthful that are painful. In fact, isn't that what we say, truth hurts? I wish it weren't the case, but I think that the reason that we say truth hurts is because when we speak the truth and it doesn't hurt, nobody, nobody notices. Nobody cares. I mean, if you speak the truth and nobody, it doesn't hurt, it doesn't upset, upset anybody, it, that's fine, that's great. We can talk about that kind of truth all day long. But now we're going to talk about truth that hurts. I know there have been abuses in the past where, where preachers have gotten on things and that's all they've known how to preach. But nowadays, the preacher can't hardly mention something without someone getting upset. And I'll be honest, when I, I'm very careful about what things I talk about because I know some people who do some things in our church that, I don't, that I'm concerned about and I feel very, very cautious about bringing it up because you don't want the truth. Yes, we do, preacher. Yes, we want the truth. Yeah, that's what we say. But when the truth hits us, when the truth hurts us, 
Oh, if it's going to hit someone else, that's fantastic. Oh, wonderful. Preacher, go hit Jimmy good. Hit him with the truth. He really needs it. But don't get me. Don't get me. And so we, we love, we love, but we don't have truth. And I'm truthful, I'm being just as honest as I can be with you tonight. There are some things that I'm concerned about that I've never spoken about because I know that it will cause great hurt to some people here. And my, it's my prayer that the Holy Spirit will either talk to you about it or that you'll come and talk to me about it or that sometime that God will help me to find a way to preach it in such a way that you know that I love you as I speak it. Now, I know what's going to happen. You're going to go out of here and go, I wonder what the preacher's talking about. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you. But I'll say this. If you wonder if it's about someone else, you're wondering the wrong question. Do you really want the truth? We don't. We really don't want the truth. We want love. We come to church and we want to be loved. We want it to be a family and we want it to be a place that we're safe. And it, that's exactly what this is, is a safe place where we are family. But in a family, you need to be able to say, that's <coughs> not how you talk to your mother. You need to be able to say, I think you've had enough cookies. You need to be able to be honest in your family. And the reason that you can be honest is because you have so much love for each other that when you speak the truth and even when the truth hurts, you know they still love you anyways. In order to be stable spiritually, we've got to have both truth and love. In, able to, in order to be stable as a church, we've got to have truth and love. We have to be able to speak the truth in such a way that you know that the person you're speaking to knows that they're loved. But we also have to be able to speak the truth at all. And the elect lady, she was all about love. But she's allowed some people to come through that are preaching a false doctrine. Because they didn't have churches in that day. They, they met together in the homes and probably was at her house. And she'd allowed some people that, and, and, and come in and she didn't agree with their doctrine. And she wished them Godspeed and sent them on their way. Maybe sent them off with a meal. A packed lunch for the way. And John says, you're helping to spread the false doctrine. I wish we could get to a place where we could speak truth and love. That we could, that we could just be honest with each other. But you know what? Some of us have been burnt. People have spoken the truth without love. And they've hurt us. They've hurt us bad. And probably, um, probably every single person here can 
probably remember a time when someone associated with the church, maybe not Altamont Church, but your church that you attended, or maybe our denomination, maybe at camp, but someone came along and they gave you a cup of cold water over your head of truth. They gave you what they called a dose of reality. They gave you a spoonful of castor oil and didn't give you any sugar. John says to us, we have to have both. We have to have both. We've got to have love and truth residing side by side and not giving up one for the other. How do you do that? It's trust. It's trust. It's a fundamental belief that when someone speaks to us truth, that they care and that they're saying it to help us, not because they get a perverse pleasure out of hurting us. Or because they are trying to somehow feel superior or dominant over us. You know, there's no place for dom uh, being dominant and controlling or feeling better than one another in the church. We are all one body. Do you love your hands more than your feet? Do you love your eyes more than your ears? I mean, when you think about it, do you have a, a, a favorite body part that, man, yeah, that, that, that one's the it, that one's the, the great one. You know, can you imagine the, uh, if, uh, you know, I, I, they talk about more science stuff here, but they, they, a long time ago, they, 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 they had a scientist on who was talking about if you were ever captured by, by radicals and, and they were going to cut off a finger in order to send it to home to, for proof of life. Not exciting. Which finger would you choose? and the science of picking which finger you ought to have cut off. That kind of morbid. There's a science. There is a finger you should pick. And it's probably not the one you think. It's not your pinky. If I remember right, it's your ring finger. I think that, if I remember right, it's been years since I uh, read that. I, I'm hoping that I never have to make that decision. But we don't think about that on a daily basis. That's not a normal thought. We don't, wow, I just, I just, man, I just love my pointer finger. Couldn't imagine life without it. Why would we dominate each other? Why would we pick favorites and, and people that are above and below others? That's not what a church is about. We're one body. And even if it, the ring finger is the one to have cut off, I don't know if any of you are volunteering to let me tr show you and see if the science works. None of us are interested in that. And yes, I understand that, that there are, it'd be hard to lose your thumb. Your thumb's the least. That's the one you most need. I understand that sometimes that, that you know, certainly 
you, you don't want to lose your eyes and, that, or, or, and you don't want to lose your hearing. And, and I understand that there's some parts that, that maybe are really, we feel are really are important. And I understand even in the church, there are some people that carry heavier loads than others. But it doesn't mean they're more important. It doesn't mean that they're, that they're more special. And if we could get to the place where all of us just saw ourselves as one body, and the way that I treat Cameron is the way that I'm really treating myself. None of us takes a hammer and purposely slams our thumb. It hurts us. It doesn't just hurt the thumb. I'm not going to just go up to Cameron and say, Cameron, you've really been letting yourself go lately. You've really been putting on the pounds. I'm not going to do that because by hurting him, I'm hurting myself. We're one body. Now, I might, if Cameron's really let himself go and he's put on 150 pounds in the last three months, I may say, Cameron, I'm really concerned about you. Are you okay? Have, have you been to the doctor? 150 pounds in three months is a lot of weight. That's a lot of weight. Are you, are you okay? Do you, need, do, you, do, you, do you need some kind of resources? Do you, do you, here's a book. <laughs> There's a way to approach it. There's a way to say it to him. Like, Cameron, I'm, I'm concerned about this. There's a way to, to, to say, you know, you've been letting down on some things spiritually lately. I'm concerned about where you're, what direction you're headed in. Well, I could never say that, preacher. I, I would be afraid. I'd be, I'd be afraid of offending someone. Are we going to walk in truth and love, or are we going to pick one or the other? I suppose that probably in our culture, in our day, most of us are going to err on the side of love. I know that I do. I'm just being honest this, this evening. That's where I err. I am more quickly going to choose love over to telling you the truth. But here's the thing. When it becomes about spiritual things that may trip you up and cost you your soul, is it really loving if I keep quiet about it? Really isn't. I don't want our church to become a place where truth cannot be spoken because all we care about is love. But I also don't want this to become a place where all that's spoken is truth and there's no love. Who wants to be in a place like that? And so for each of us, we have a, we have a decision to make. Are we going to walk in balance of truth and love? Or are we going to become spiritually dizzy by picking one over the other? Spiders don't get dizzy, but Christians can. And if we're going to make it, if we're going to make it home, we're going to have to walk in balance of truth and love. Stand together.